From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. As well as support from Era Energy LLC, Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant, Nossaman LLC, Sagasser Watkins and Whelan, and Valley Children's Hospital. With Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. While well, high-speed rail is back on track, or at least it's back in the news, our guest is Elaine Howe, mm -hmm. the California State Auditor, who recently conducted an audit on the high-speed rail project and found some major flaws in the initial rollout. The issue is whether these flaws are fixable or they are endemic to the pro program. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Pleasure to be here. So first, let's just talk a little bit about how high-speed rail evolved over time. Sure. So most people probably don't know this, but the, the authority itself was created in legislation as far back as 1996. Mm. Um, the thought, the concept of high-speed rail. The first business plan was put together in 2000, but it really got very serious in 2008, and that's when they went to the voters and asked the voters to approve a bond measure uh, providing uh, about $9 billion in general obligation bonds to really start planning and designing high-speed rail. And then since then, it really has evolved. There have been multiple business plans, right, shifts say, in the project, The business plan seems to be changing, the costs mm -hmm. seem to keep changing. Um, so how much money has been secured? This seems to be a little confusion here about the money that's secured to build high-speed rail and how much additional money has been identified, secured versus identified. Right. So the project itself, the, the entire project, the, the cost estimates right now are about $78 billion. There's and that's the, that is the San Francisco to L.A. Right, okay. San Francisco down to Anaheim. The project they're working on right now, Central Valley, they call it Valley to Valley, um, is about 29 almost $30 billion. Much of that has been secured. Much Well, about half of it, I think, has been secured through some federal money that the state of California received, cap-and-trade money, some of the future revenues, they're hoping to get additional cap-and-trade money. Kind of leverage so, the cap-and-trade and say, right. it's kind of like getting a mortgage, right? You could get more money if you say, we have this uh, revenue stream coming in. Exactly. Um, like a salary for a person. Right. Okay, so um, it sounds like they have enough money to do that, that valley portion. If you assume that they can leverage some of that money. Exactly. If you okay. assume that cap-and-trade money will continue to come in and they can leverage some of that, they will have enough money to complete valley-to-valley. -valley. Yeah, and, and my understanding is from your report that um, they're anticipating about another four to four and a half billion dollars through 2030 on, on cap-and-trade money. Right, right. Cap-and-trade, exactly, because they get 25 percent of the revenues that come in with cap-and-trade right. uh, is de de dedicated, sorry, dedicated to high-speed rail. Mm -hmm. um, but as you said, they also intend to leverage against future revenue, so they're going to project this is the amount of revenue we think we're going to get through 2030, and we can borrow against that and, and use that as collateral. Yeah, and what they're talking about there from your report is anywhere from $3.9 billion to $11.1 billion in federal right. loan programs or public-private partnerships, which, by the way, right. like, you know, a lot of <clears throat> government entities are using public-private partnerships, so that's not that unusual. Mm -hmm. um, so let me ask you this. So is there enough money identified or secured to build the initial Silicon Valley to San Joaquin Valley segment, there's a, isn't there a, like a, the connection between the two is, mm -hmm. is somewhat problematic. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's 4 to $14 billion to get 
through the mountains to get to connect those two lines. Right, and that's really not what they're focusing on right now. There isn't funding for that. They are focusing on Valley to Valley, which is basically Madeira down to Bakersfield, where they have the funding. They're a little bit short, but they have the majority of the funding for that. They still have to figure out funding for some of the other connectors and other aspects of the system. You know, it seems like uh, with money so tight, this project has always been kind of um, right on the edge, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd really want to play, uh, pay close attention uh, to oversight, have really rigorous oversight. In fact, the High Speed Rail Authority has done a couple of audits, uh, their own right. internal audits. Right. What have they found, and what, if anything, did they do to correct what they, the problems they found? Right. As you mentioned, the, the High Speed Rail Authority has its own audit function, and their internal audits in 2015 and 2016 identified issues that we had identified in a report prior to that. So there's continuing problems with respect to oversight, management of contractors, management of change orders, reviewing deliverables, making sure that the project is progressing as it should and that the costs are being contained. And that oversight is really problematic. The High-Speed Rail Authority, their own internal auditors identified a series of issues in 2015 and again in 2016. And then, what, and nothing really happened. They identified the issues and then they kind of... Right. They identified the issues. They actually recommended and they did create a contract management unit right. to oversee contracts. But again, that unit d developed policies, procedures, uh, protocols, et cetera, but nobody's following that. Right. Having it on paper is one thing. Actually, you know, implementing it is, is a whole other question. So how did your office get involved with this? We got involved in this particular project because there were members of the legislature who are supportive of high-speed rail but are very concerned about the costs increasing. Senator Bell, uh, Mr. Patterson, and Mr. Arambola, Assemblymembers Patterson and Arambola, um, represent that region, mm -hmm. uh, the region where current construction is happening, and they're very supportive. It's creating jobs, etc. But it seems like they're very concerned about all these cost overruns, the amount of time it's taking to construct the project, etc. So they requested. I'd, I'd put a caveat on, on Assemblymember Patterson. He has mm -hmm. not been a huge supporter of high speed rail. He has been right. very concerned about high speed rail, but I'm not right. sure I'd call him a supporter. Uh, but in any event, um, up next we're going to find out what the state auditor found out uh, mm -hmm. after a closer look at high speed rail. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Elaine Howe, the California State Auditor, about mm -hmm. an audit her office did on high-speed high speed rails uh, contracting and cost control practices. You know, one of the things um, that you found was a high-speed mm -hmm. rail authority decided to go about this in kind of an incremental approach. Uh, an right. example of that is this blending of mm -hmm. high-speed rail with existing rail lines where feasible. It was a way to control costs. Mm -hmm. Your report indicates that the authority has pretty much exhausted the opportunity right. to save money using these kind of existing infrastructure concepts. Um, what does that mean then for the ability of high-speed rail to mitigate future costs? Well, certainly blending is no longer an option. They have exhausted all of the opportunities to blend and to work, to integrate with Caltrain and ShareTrack, that sort of thing. What it means is they really have to step up their oversight, uh, cost controls, project management, those sorts of things, because we're at risk of the, the cost of this project increasing incrementally, particularly since some of the future construction is going to be some of the most complex, where they have to tunnel through mountains yeah. and, and build infrastructure that is much more complex than what they're currently working on. And, and tunneling through the mountains, is just, it's not just like every mountain's the same, right? Because there's okay. shale, there's different kinds of uh, geographic... Uh, uh, geological co configurations they're going to have mm -hmm. to deal with. So, and, and some of this is going to be extremely expensive. Exactly. I thought it was really interesting that under the uh, state law, 
you have to build a system between San Francisco and Los Angeles in two hours and 40 minutes. Right. And with this blended system, they've calculated mm -hmm. they could do it in two hours, 36 mm -hmm. minutes, and 56, 56 seconds. seconds. So exactly. just under the wire. Right, right. And that's part of the reason why they can't do any more blending because one We're of the consequences of blending is the trains can't go as fast. Right. If you're exclusively high-speed rail, you can go over 200 miles an hour. When you're blending and you're sharing track, you have to reduce the speed of those trains down to 125, in some cases 110 miles an hour. So there are trade-offs to blending. Um, yeah. Number of trains they can use has right. been reduced. Save money, but you're getting a little less. Exactly. Uh, um, okay, so your report says, quote, the cost to date have been significantly greater than originally projected, unquote. How much more, is my question, mm -hmm. and what caused mm -hmm. those cost mm -hmm. overruns? Well, and what we're talking about in that section of the audit report is the current th three current construction projects. They originally thought those projects would be about $2.5 billion, but we identified $600 million in change orders, cost overruns, wow. so we're up to $3.1 billion. But then when we dug a little deeper and queried the high-speed rail authority, okay, how much more? And they think they're going to need another 1.6 billion. So it went from 2.5 billion to close to almost doubling to 4.7, almost five billion dollars, just for those three construction projects they're working on now. Yeah, and as you say, the your report just talks about cost overruns due, due to these change orders, and that's additional work uh, not contained in the original contract. Right. And most of that, by the way, was identified by the High-Speed Rail Authority itself. Exactly. Um, it mm -hmm. sounds like they forgot the old adage, measure twice, cut <laughs> once. Mm -hmm. Is that a fair statement? Well, it, I think it is a fair statement because they really started, as we say in the report, they started commencing construction, design, et cetera, when they really hadn't done sufficient planning, engaging with uh, local landowners. Why they jump the gun like that? Well, some of their uh, explanation for jumping the gun is, well, we got this federal money under the American Recovery Act, uh, the $2.5 billion from uh, the federal government, and then they got some additional money after that, and there were some deadlines uh, to using those funds. So they wanted to get going. They also wanted to break ground to demonstrate to people where they see construction, oh, this is really happening. Right. So there were reasons for... Um, starting construction early before they really before had they all their ducks in a row. Right, and so things like uh, utility infrastructure, moving, right. making sure you need to move that. Land acquisitions was really slowing things Land down. Land acquisition was a huge issue for them, and they even were informed back in 2013 by consultants that they had hired that they had not acquired sufficient land, that there were questions about whether or not they were legally doing it. There was actually litigation. So they put the cart before the horse, absolutely. Land acquisition, as you said, utility, infrastructure, having to move that, working with local uh, stakeholders. You know, governments. Yeah, stakeholders, so county governments, all, yeah. to make sure everybody's on board with what we intend to do. And they hadn't done that, and they ran into a lot of issues, and that's why we're seeing all these change orders. It seems like the, the driving there was, was spending the money, getting the money spent from the, from the federal government. Of course, that right. money was given after the Great Recession as a way to help economies Boost, exactly. you know, get out of the recession, but uh, not enough planning, of course. Right. Okay, so your report states that, uh, quote, the risk of additional cost increases is high. Mm -hmm. unquote. Mm -hmm. It sounds like you're saying you don't think high-speed rail authorities really learn from its mistakes. Well, and I, the reason I say, or we say in the audit report that there's a high risk of costs going up is they're still not doing a good job. They were notified by their own internal auditors, reports by us, reports by consultants that they had to do certain things to manage con and control costs, 
but also do a better job of planning land acquisition. Make sure we have all of that figured out before we start building. Talk to the utilities. Exactly. Talk to the stakeholders. Exactly. And they haven't learned those lessons, as you said. Um, and so we are very concerned that the costs are going to continue to escalate. But they do have a new a new leader, uh, Brian Kelly, uh, was appointed uh, head of the high-speed rail, and, and he's got a, a good track record in terms of, of management. Absolutely. I, I know Brian. I, I dealt with him when he was uh, agency secretary for transportation. He has a lot of experience, and I have a lot of confidence yeah, in him. A lot of people. He's a no-nonsense kind of guy. Absolutely. Uh, maybe we can get it back mm -hmm. on track. Well, we're going to have a further conversation about high-speed rail in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe about an audit her office performed on California's high-speed rail mm -hmm. project and what was done or not done to control costs on that project. So um, we were talking earlier about these two internal audits that the high-speed rail authority did right. uh, to create better uh, management policies to control costs. Um, why didn't they work? Are the policies good? Is the implementation the problem? What's What's the issue here? I think implementation is the problem. As, as we mentioned a few minutes ago, they did create, in 2016, the High Speed Rail Authority created this contract management, it's CMSU, Contract Management Support Unit. So it's Everything's alphabets unit. with the government. Right, exactly. Okay. The acronym had to throw it out there. <laughs> um, so they created this unit, and they that unit actually did develop policies, procedures, guidance for contract managers. And they were going to monitor it follow. as well. Absolutely. Okay. And, and some of those policies and procedures are some of the best practices that are in state contracting Manual. So great. So they did a good job, okay. but it's the implementation. So when we looked, we saw they have 56 contract managers. Only three of those individuals are serving in that particular role full time. They're peeling these people off and using them for other purposes. So, so when your they, boss comes to you and says, "Do this," if, if right. this auditing is part of your part of your work, it's going to get pushed off to the side. Exactly. So we really had a problem with that, and, and we're deferring that high-speed rail authority is deferring too much to consultants and the contracting firms to come up with estimates, to come up with some of the documentation we were expecting to see. We couldn't go to those contract sounds a managers. Little, it sounds like a little problematic. I mean, if you're having yep. consultants kind of overseeing this project because... You know, maybe they have a, a dog in the fight? There's a little bit of a conflict of interest. We talked about that in the report where, in fact, there were some consultants overseeing other consultants. The state yeah. needs to be, the high-speed rail authority right. needs to be involved and be the decision maker uh, in, in some of these instances. We looked at nine contracts, over a, a little over a billion dollars mm -hmm. for those contracts, and we didn't see, we saw an analysis of invoices, but we didn't see any expectations as far as what the deliverables should look like. Are we assessing the quality and the quantity of the work? The, the high-speed rail authority is just not doing a good job of holding the contractors who are constructing this project to the letter of the law in the contracts and what the expectations are. So we still see significant problems with contract management. Yeah, you, you were saying $1.3 was the exact number cited in your report. and. You're saying there's little evidence that anyone was reviewing the invoices for accuracy. I don't even understand how that happens. Exactly. They're just they're just accepting what the contractors are are sending to them, paying the bills, without making sure that the deliverables are there, that the, again the quality and quantity of the work, or that the invoice is accurate. We really identified very significant issues, and it's unfortunate because these are issues that their own internal auditors identified three, four years ago. And there's a checklist they're supposed to use to make sure that oh they've covered their bases. Right. Um, apparently they got the checklist, but they're not using it. Exactly right. They're not, and these contract managers are not being held accountable to perform the responsibilities that they were hired to perform. Yeah, you would think that'd be part of their performance appraisal. Are you doing right. your job? Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, well, another finding was that uh, no one seemed to be tracking the deliverables 
uh, much less whether the work was being paid for met the quality and quantity uh, requirements. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk about that for a moment. Mm -hmm. Sure. As I was just saying, the, the, uh, the contractors would submit their bills and there may be a review of the invoice for accuracy or something like that. But they're not tying that, that particular invoice to what were the deliverables that were expected in this contract. Did anyone assess the quality of the work, the quantity of the works before we pay that particular invoice? So again, the contract manager is not doing their due diligence and ensuring that the funds that are being paid out for this project are appropriate and allowable costs. Yeah, you were saying that, I was reading your report, it says uh, zero out of nine contract reviewed mm -hmm. maintained tracking logs. Right. They weren't even maintaining tracking right. logs. Right, they weren't tracking what the expect, expected deliverables were so that they could compare when they got an invoice that said, here's what we completed to tie it back to you know, the tracking log. We, in many cases, rather than getting that information from the contract managers, found out later that the contract managers had to go to the contractor and say, the auditor's asking us for information. Can you help us out here? Wow. That's a huge problem. Yeah. yeah, that would be definitely be a problem. Going to the people you're supposed to be reviewing and, and saying, can you give us information to back up the review we never did? Exactly. Um, that's a problem. Um, you also indicated that there are environmental impacts of the construction mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. uh, had been lacking. Um, what are you talking about there? Right. So what we were asked to look at is, did the High Speed Rail Authority do an analysis of the environmental impact of the project? Certainly they did uh, a review of the benefits once the high-speed rail is constructed. Right. How many cars are going to be off the road? What's going to be the effect on you know, emissions in the state of California? What they didn't do that we were expecting to see is, what are the impacts of current construction? You've got ma massive equipment out right. there working on this particular project. So they did an overall view, but they didn't break it down. Uh, into segments to uh, analyze what has, is the current impact. Certainly the future will be beneficial right. to the state, but that's offset by some of the impacts that are the occurring immediate, right now. Immediate impacts, yeah. Okay, yeah. so where do we go from here? Uh, the state auditor's got some recommendations. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute, and we're talking with California State mm -hmm. Auditor Elaine Howell about the problems uncovered by a recent audit of California's high-speed rail project. But uh, your audit notes that there are actions that the High Speed Rail Authority can take to avoid problems in the future right. and perhaps maybe get High Speed Rail back on track. So mm -hmm. first you suggest that the High Speed Rail Authority should establish formal prerequisites before beginning any new construction. Right. Why and what? Right. So a lot of the things we talked about that they made mistakes in the past. Mm -hmm. First of all, starting off with land acquisition. Uh, that was a huge issue and a major contributor to the cost overruns that we've seen thus far. You know, we were doing earlier shows and I was just tell you that that, that was co a consistent theme. Right. Gee, we need X number of uh, thousands of parcels. We've only mm -hmm. got a few hundred you know, secured. Right. It's a big issue. Right. So when we talk about, you know, benchmarks or prerequisites, uh, making sure that you have some of that taken care of mm -hmm. and figured out before you move forward with future construction. The utility Property issue? acquisition. Utility, uh, infrastructure, as far as any need to move any of that infrastructure. They were surprised by that. that. They were surprised by that, and they were intending to rely on some of the utilities to do some of that work, and the utilities said, no, we're, we're not yeah. going to be able to do that. So the authority ended up having to contract for that, and the prices doubled and in some cases tripled as far as how much it's going to cost to to relocate some of those utilities. So really have some budget. of that figured out yeah. ahead of time um, and establish benchmarks for how much of it you want figured out. You also talked about that, stakeholders. Absolutely. You've got to engage with stakeholders, local county governments, uh, if there are other train operators uh, that are going to be impacted by high-speed rail. You've got to engage with those stakeholders and try to get some of those agreements reached out. Be, or, or, 
worked out before you start constructing the future uh, elements of the system. Measure twice, cut once. That's exactly right. right. Um, mm -hmm. Okay, so um, <coughs> I want to ask you about uh, the second thing you said that high-speed rail authority needs to take steps to ensure that it improves uh, its monitoring and evaluation of the risks associated uh, with the deadline for the Central Valley segments. Um, what would you like to see done there? Right, and as we talked about, a huge amount of money, $3.5 billion now from the federal government. We have to have, uh, according to the, the requirements of the federal grant that California received, that construction has to be completed by December of 2022, and that includes laying track. So we think... That's not th that far away. That that's is that's right on top of Right that. around the corner. And the authority is suggesting that to be able to accomplish that, they've got to construct this valley to valley at double the rate that they've been able to construct thus far. And that's going to be very difficult to do. Difficult or impossible? I mean, that's well, twice, I don't know if it's twice the yeah, rate. Yeah, it may or may not be impossible, but it's, it's a lofty uh, goal yeah. for them to be able to do that. But to avoid any risk of the federal government taking that money back or offsetting future payments mm -hmm. to California. So we suggested that they quarterly report to the legislature and the public as to their progress as far as being able to meet that deadline. That's really, really important. Yeah, so um, you'd also like to see improvements in, we talked about contract management mm -hmm. uh, with increased accountability and justification for any amounts paid. What specific improvements would you like to see? Well, specifically, as we talked a few minutes ago, the, they need their contract managers to be focused full-time on contract management and oversight and making sure they're looking at the deliverables, the quality and quantity of the work. And their supervisors of those managers are holding those contract managers accountable to make sure that we strengthen uh, oversight of the consultants and contractors who are working on this project. You had mentioned state employees might be a, 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 right. a, proper, a proper people to do the, have this role. Right. It would be extremely helpful for the high-speed rail authority to have their own state employees who don't have any kind of conflict of interest uh, that we talk about in the report. There are some consultants overseeing other consultants. That, right, that creates just... a conflict. So you need to have state employees who are the ones that are the final decider as to whether or not this uh, work is quality and quantity, and we're going to pay this invoice. You don't want someone who has a stake in, in the game, for sure. Right. So finally, you recommend the establishment of an independent oversight committee. Uh, right. You note that uh, independent oversight committees have worked well with other large infrastructure projects. Um, what would they do here? Right. So we, we refer to the toll bridge a retrofit project and when the legislature that that project was several bridges mostly in the bay area uh, that needed to be retrofitted for earthquake safety and that some of those costs were ballooning so the legislature created an oversight committee for the toll bridge a seismic retrofit uh, program and that really reduced costs because there's this independent group so we think that model would work very well with high-speed rail even though they have their own board we think an independent oversight group to really question and query decisions that the uh, the board and the authority are making with respect to this project would help contain costs. You know, put a fine point in it because I drilled down in your report. You know, mm -hmm. I read these things. Mm -hmm. um, you said that uh, that particular uh, commission uh, that was looking at uh, the, the toll, toll bridge, bridge. Mm -hmm. saved eight hundred and sixty-six million dollars right. uh, and seven years. Exactly. Of potential delays. Exactly. So and that's some pretty of, significant. It, and some of that decision making was no, we don't need to do this. Let's do this. It's less expensive. It still creates, you know, a, a safe bridge for Californians. And we need that kind of oversight on the high-speed rail uh, project in California. I was going to say, well, there's the road forward for high-speed rail, but since it's high-speed rail, maybe that's the track forward. Mm -hmm. I want to thank mm -hmm. uh, the state auditor, Elaine uh, Howell, for joining us. We'll also hear from Tim Sheehan with the Fresno Bee. 
From News Talk 580-1059 KMJ, this is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. Welcome. To some, high-speed rail is the Valley's economic silver bullet. To others, it's an example of a white elephant and government waste. Regardless of what you think, there's no denying the largest infrastructure project in the history of California has everyone's attention. Indeed, one of the biggest takeaways from Governor Gavin Newsom's recent State of the State speech was his comment on high-speed rail. Some hearing the death knell to what they derisively refer to as the train to nowhere, while others heard a refocus on building a usable line, basically the spine of high-speed rail in the valley, as a precursor to an L.A. to San Francisco high-speed rail system in the far future. No doubt high-speed rail is back on the front burner. What does it mean for, the, for Valley cities who have been planning around high-speed rail? Should those plans be shelved? Will high-speed rail or better passenger rail service from the, in the Valley from uh, to L.A. or San Francisco ever get built? Our guest would know. He's Tim Sheehan with the Fresno Bee, who's covered high-speed rail in depth. Welcome to the Matter Report Valley Views Edition. Thank you, Mark. Okay, so let's start with uh, the uh, recent state auditor's report um, was not a flattering report. Uh, it cited flawed decision-making and poor contract management contributing to billions of dollars in cost overruns and delays in the system's at least initial construction. Uh, I assume that her, fa- her findings were seized by opponents of high-speed rail in oh, the yeah. Valley. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm pretty happy with that. But, um, but was the auditor's report saying that high-speed rail was a flawed project or the victim of flawed implementation? The way I read it, it seemed to be more a matter of the implementation and how this process is playing out, particularly here in these initial valley segments. The, the criticism was leveled at the, the fact that the rail authority, the California High-Speed Rail Authority, was under the gun to start construction before it was really ready to start construction. And that's a result of federal deadlines associated with uh, stimulus grants from the Obama administration. So in order to try to meet some crucial deadlines associated with those stimulus funds, they had to go into the process of awarding contracts for construction before they had all the properties lined up to on which to build. It's kind of like shoot, ready, aim. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. And that was a big piece of the criticism in the auditor's report, plus uh, reliance on contractors and, and – other management issues. Well, let me ask you. I mean, I mean, you've been watching this project for a long time. Did the state auditor's report surprise you or did no. you see this thing coming? No, it didn't surprise me because a lot of the things that that the auditor pointed out are things that that we've reported on in the media, that I've reported on over the last few years in terms of the the slow pace of construction, the slow pace of right-of-way. Yeah, the, buying the parcels has always been an issue. Yeah, I mean that's been slow and it's gotten more expensive since they started a few years ago. That and the reliance on contractors as opposed to state employee infrastructure to manage and oversee the contract. Yeah, in particular overseeing the contract, you basically have uh, what is it, the wolf guarding the hen house because the contractors are then overseeing contractors. Yes. Um, right. And that's could be it would seem to be problematic and that was a big part of the state auditor's report that really was that there wasn't sufficient state employee oversight of the contractors who are overseeing the contractors right right, right. and so they they're actually approving sometimes they're approving more for change orders more than what the contractor wanted uh, on occasion on occasion uh, on occasion so that's yeah it's, it's problematic 
So uh, one reason there was an audit was to make sure that the limited uh, funding to get high speed or off the ground was going to be well spent. I mm-hmm. mean, because they didn't, they knew from the get go they didn't have enough to build the entire system. Right. I think the initial estimate was what sixty six billion or something. The initial estimates were more in the neighborhood of forty six billion. Back, uh, you we're reaching back nine or ten years ago for that. And then it inflated to 98, then it went back then it went to 66, back, right. and, and now we're looking at 77 for 77 billion for San Francisco to L.A. But if no, it ever gets built. But no one was ever expecting, I think from, from the get-go, no one was saying that this product was not going to be built without uh, some outside money. In other words, federal money oh, right. or, or private money, right? Sure, sure. And isn't that a fair assumption? I mean, most uh, major infrastructure projects do have federal government support. I mean, think of the highway system, for example. Mm-hmm. Um you know, is that one of the big impediments here? We no, I mean, limited federal funding. The rail authority would say that that's a huge impediment because from the get-go, uh, you know, back when Proposition One A was passed in two thousand eight, that's the nine point nine billion bond measure. The anticipation was that you'd have state funds covering about a third of the cost, federal funds covering about a third of the cost, and then private investment, private money coming in for the other third. Of course, the private money isn't going to come along until there's a way for the system to prove that it's worthy of the investment. And the federal funds got shut off uh, as soon as the Republicans took control of Congress. Using that math, though, we're probably talking about $26 billion in federal money, which would be a reasonable assumption, and they didn't get anywhere near that. No, they got about three and a half. Yeah. And and now you've got the federal government wanting to pull some of that back. Right, right. Um, We'll we'll see how that sounds like a lawsuit, and that sounds like like it's going to take some time. Yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll be around to, to see the conclusion of that, but uh, let me ask you this. So um, the state auditor's report um, looked at the initial implementation of high-speed rail, uh, but before the state auditor's report, the high-speed rail authority submitted an updated business plan, which they have to do every, every two years. Yes. Did they anticipate in that report the state auditor's criticisms? Um, and, and what, by the way, how did the, the last business plan change the plan before that? What were the major changes in the most recent uh, business plan? The 2018 business plan differed from the 2016 business plan in that it it represented what the rail authority said was the next most realistic look at what they could do with the money they had and what they couldn't do with the money they didn't have. Um, And it was that plan in 2018 that first set out the prospect of possibly using what they build here in the valley separate and apart from connecting to the, to the Bay Area. So they're called the Valley to Valley, I guess, segment. They're going to build, my understanding is, basically a, a, a spine in the valley. Yes. The uh, question is whether it was going to go to Madera, to Shafter, or, or if it was going to go all the way down to Bakersfield. Right. Second one was going to be, I want to say, Gilroy to San Jose. Gilroy to, Sa- Gilroy to San Jose, and then using the Caltrain, uh, upgraded Caltrain tracks, right. electrifying Caltrain, to share those tracks all the way into San Francisco. But no connection between Gilroy and Madera or, or the valley. Right. Yes, you had the, the separate peninsula work on the, on the San Francisco peninsula, separate from the stuff here in the valley. And the expectation was... We'll deal with punching a, a tunnel through the Pacheco Pass when we get the money to do that. And by the way, apparently the geological formations are, are really tricky in this pass. Um, it got shale and, and whatnot, so it's not just, you just don't bore a hole through the mountains. It's going to be a lot more tricky than That's that. That's my understanding. Exp- very expensive. Yes, very uh, expensive. And and they chose Pacheco over going south initially. A couple of years ago, they made the pivot instead of going south from Bakersfield 
to Palmdale and Los Angeles, mm-hmm. they decided it's going to be cheaper and less technically challenging to go north and west to the Bay Area, but not without challenges, certainly. And you're going you're to correct me if I'm wrong here, but my recollection was that would have saved about $7 billion by going north instead of south. I think that's about right, yes. Yeah, oh, good. <laughs> Someone <laughs> will, will fact check me out there, I'm sure. Um, so did they anticipate the state auditor's criticisms? Not necessarily specifically what the auditor pointed out. They they were working to try to come up with a realistic expectation of the cost, but I don't think they were anticipating the criticism of the management, the criticism of the oversight. Uh, some of the steps that they were outlining in the business plan seemed to anticipate maybe some of the issues that were raised, particularly in terms of cost. You know, it's interesting because when we were talking to the state auditor earlier, um, she was saying that they've done, they had done internal audits at the high-speed rail authority. Right. It's not like they didn't know what was going on. I mean, they knew there were problems there, mm-hmm. but apparently an issue maybe of management, which brings me to my next question, right. and that is high-speed rail is under new management, not yes. just new business plan, new management. And before we left office, Governor Brown appointed a guy by the name of Brian Kelly, who was his secretary of transportation, mm-hmm. And a guy, frankly, that has kind of a no-nonsense reputation. Right. Um, we had him down here to speak to uh, what's our group called Maddie Associates. Um, and some, you know, business people, fairly conservative, not necessarily high-speed rail proponents. And they walked away saying, you know, if anybody can get this project done, it's Brian Kelly. This guy seems to be kind of like, almost looks like a Marine sergeant. You know, yeah. Um, guy that can get things done. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had though a short leave of absence right after he took the job because yes. he became ill for medical reasons. Mm-hmm. He's now back on the job. I don't know if it's full-time or part-time, but the idea is he's going to come back full-time. Yeah. Do you think his leadership is going to make a difference on this project? I think to some extent it already has. From the time he came in, which was uh, about the time that, uh, that this new business plan came out, uh, there was a different tone to the business plan than there had been in previous business plans. So I think – in his in his tenure, he's brought a new realism. And before he went on his uh, leave of absence, uh, the rail authority was bringing in some additional subordinate folks to him to kind of crack the whip and make sure that that things were getting done in a more timely fashion and more efficient fashion. So yes, I think I think his presence does make a difference, a significant difference. And he led, you know, the DOT, Department of Transportation, a major agency. So he's used to managing large bureaucracies. Yes. Right. So that should have, that should bode well for him in terms of uh, running high speed rail. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yes, I think so. The the uh, the, the business plan that they really was, hadn't had that before, right? I mean, the other the other leaders in the past haven't had that kind of. That uh, that extensive uh, not not uh, quite. Experience. I mean, Jeff Morales, who who left a couple of years ago now, was a previous Caltrans director. Uh, yeah, but that's different than being Caltrans director than being Secretary of Transportation. Exactly, it's different. I mean, it's the, it's, the director reports to exactly. The secretary. So yeah, but uh, you know, yes, uh, Brian has a a different level of expertise. Certainly. I mean, I mean, Jeff certainly was, you know, uh, very articulate and, and, and knew mm-hmm. obviously a lot about high-speed rail. But I'm just thinking that that Brian Kelly's experience yeah. managing and, and this is the largest infrastructure project, certainly in the history of California and probably the right. nation. Mm-hmm. So you would need someone with really construction management expertise to run this. Right. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And I think Brian does bring that, and some of the people he's brought in as as chief engineers and some of those folks also have similar types of experience in terms of managing projects. Okay. Well, you know, as I mentioned earlier, Governor Gavin Newsom certainly got some headline-grabbing attention about high-speed rail during his first State of the State speech. 
What did he say and what does it mean for high-speed rail and valley communities that were counting on the economic promise of high-speed rail? That conversation in a moment. This is the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition. You're listening to the Matty Report, Valley Views Edition on KMJ. Between the state auditor's report and Governor Newsom's comments about high-speed rail during his State of the State speech, some are wondering if Valley cities should be making other plans. We'll talk with a reporter who's followed this issue more closely than just about anyone, the Fresno Bee's Tim Sheehan. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with Tim Sheehan of the Fresno Bee, who's been covering high-speed rail closer than just about anyone. Um, so perhaps the biggest takeaway from Governor Gavin Newsom's first State of the State speech uh, was his comments regarding high-speed rail. What did he say and how was it received in the Valley? You know, for, for the governor's speech, it's almost as much what he didn't say as what he did. What he did say about high-speed rail— It sounds confusing. It, it was confusing. <laughs> okay. It was extremely confusing, and, and that's why so many headlines went off in different directions mm-hmm. reporting on what he said. What he said was specifically right now he did not see a path to get from San Francisco to Los Angeles, much less from— um, including the future extensions to Sacramento and San Diego. And he wishes that there were a path. But well, the reality is, I me mean, too, but the, the, the extensions to San Diego and to Sacramento have always been kind of way out in the distant future. Absolutely. They're, yeah. they're, you know, for about the last eight years, there have not even been cost estimates or schedule estimates on when those could come along. But the important part of, of what he did or didn't say, what he talked about is what we know we can do is Merced to Bakersfield. And they and, actually extended a little bit north from Madera to, Mer- to Merced and a little bit south from Shafter to Bakersfield. Exactly. You know, so he said, we, this is what we know we can do, that we can get an operational high-speed rail link. And the word operational was new. That had sort of been contemplated in the Rail Authority's 2018 business plan. They had actually said, this is something we want to study, whether or not it is economically feasible to operate a standalone segment until such time as we can connect to the Bay Area. But when you say operational, are you saying operational high-speed rail or are you saying Amtrak 2.0? Well, the business plan was anticipating operational in terms of running actual high-speed trains on these tracks that are under construction here in the Valley. And that was sort of the impression that one had from Governor Newsom's State of the State address. But it wasn't explicitly stated. And by specifically saying, we know we can do this, and maybe down the road we'll look at extending to the Silicon Valley, that – what he didn't say is when we're going to do that and if we're going to do it. Yeah, said, well, possibly. Yeah. But one thing, even if they did not have high-speed rail on this segment from Merced to Bakersfield, and it still could be used for Amtrak, we are talking about yes. increasing speeds from probably like, what, 75, 79 miles an hour on Amtrak up to 125 mm-hmm. would be a, a significant improvement uh, on right. Amtrak, even though it's not high-speed rail, but that right. needs to be stated. So shortly after the state of the speech and some confusion, uh, the governor came to the Valley and met with Republican mayors mm-hmm. from Fresno, Merced, and Bakersfield. What did they tell him and how did he respond? Yeah, that was actually the next day, the day after his State of the State address. And he came to meet in Fresno with uh, with those three mayors. And it covered a wide range of issues. There was some economic development. High-speed rail was certainly the first thing that they asked him about from what we are told. Uh, you know, media wasn't involved in, in going into the meeting. But uh, one of my colleagues did catch uh, Governor Newsom coming away from that meeting. And I think what he tried to do was clarify 
what his intentions are with regard to high-speed rail, to try to get something going, to build something in a project where we've seen these bits and pieces throughout the valley that are getting built, the occasional bridge, the occasional overpass, whatever, what have you. He wants to see something up and running so that the state, the residents of the state can see that something is actually getting built and can operate. Um, so he reiterated to these mayors his commitment to see at least this part of the project through. Yeah, I think the last thing people want to see as they're driving up 99 is segments of, of high-speed rail. Literally, there's a stop midair. Um, right. And he's saying you know, get the project done, at least in the valley. Exactly. So let's talk specifically about how it's affecting specific valley communities. So mm-hmm. uh, high-speed rail and, and the city of Fresno, what does it mean uh, it, right now, where we are right now? Where we are right now is you've got uh, a lot of businesses that have been displaced uh, up and down Fresno along the railroad right-of-way. And you've got the city of Fresno has been pinning some of its economic development hopes on being sort of the Central Valley's hub for high-speed rail. The Fulton Street reconstruction downtown was to some extent predicated on there being a high-speed rail station less than a half mile. So downtown revitalization, that was a big piece of downtown revitalization. Absolutely. Um, And uh, Mayor Brand has expressed that he wants to see at least this valley portion completed so that we have something usable and that these businesses that have been displaced, residents have been displaced, uh, the the tearing up that's happened in Fresno is not for nothing. Well, they're getting, in Fresno, they're getting great separated crossings. Uh, They're moving 99, which Mm -hmm. assumed was going to be an improvement when they they make that change. So Fresno is getting something if not high-speed rail, some infrastructure improvements in the community. And frankly, a lot of money spent. Yes, a lot. In the community. Uh, mm-hmm. um, That's true. Okay, so uh, let me talk about, uh, let's ask about Bakersfield. I'll talk about Bakersfield. Uh, the governor's plan has it extending from Shafter to downtown. I guess Bakersfield mm-hmm. would say that's a good thing, uh, but still not connected to L.A. And when you talk to folks in Bakersfield, it seems to me, they see themselves really connected to L.A. And they yeah, it's great to go north and get up to the Bay Area, but man, they really want to see a connection to L.A. Sure. Um, so what are what do you think the thoughts are down in Bakersfield about where we are right now on this project? You know, I'm not real sure. I, I've not had a lot of connections in Bakersfield, but but I, I, I tend to think along the lines that you just voiced. There's a, a much deeper connection, a much closer proximity to the Los Angeles Basin over the Tehachapis uh, than here in the Valley. It's sort of like, you know, Dodgers fans in Bakersfield. They're right. much more interested in going to L.A. than they are in rooting for the Giants down there in might be a, a good, a good uh, Maybe that's one of the things you think about in the business plan is where do the, the fans for the Giants stop? Right. And that's where we build the train north. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because, because Bakersfield has always had a little more of an affinity to, towards Southern California. Right. Um, I think one of the things that I heard uh, being discussed – after the new route into Bakersfield was approved uh, because the city of Bakersfield had sued over a previous incarnation that went into the heart of downtown where their train station is now. Now there's a route that's planned that stops north of downtown and follows more than 99 corridor right into uh, where the new station location is. the The new station location, as far as you know, is not the same as the current Amtrak station? No, it's not. Yeah. No, it's farther north. Um, and you had um, a Bakersfield city council member or former city council member. It, it kind of escapes me now. It all sorts of run together after a fashion. But the statement was made that if I'd known that this is what it was going to mean, I wouldn't have sued you in the first place over the first option. Because the, the thinking was 
okay, maybe downtown would have been a more sensible location for a station after all. Well, i got to say, the Amtrak station in Bakersfield, right next to, the, to their Civic Center, mm-hmm. and it's it's extremely convenient. Very, um, very. So, yeah, uh, yeah, interesting. I'll see how that's going to play out. Sure. Um, but again, you're going to have, if this system is built the way the governor is suggesting, you're going to be able to get to, from Bakersfield to the Bay Area by train mm-hmm. much more quickly because you're, what you're going to be able to do is take, you know, this new segment from Bakersfield to, to Merced, either Amtrak at 125 miles an hour or high-speed rail at 200 miles an hour, mm-hmm. get off, get on the ACE train, Altamont Quarter Express, yes. from Merced over to San Jose, and then take the Caltrain up to San Francisco, yeah. which is going to be a lot faster than the current Amtrak's uh, service to the Bay Area. Sure. Once you can get Am- If you can get Amtrak on its own dedicated tracks between Bakersfield and Madera, you don't have to stop for freight trains. All the way to Merced. Or Merced, right, right, exactly. Right. Then you don't have to stop for freight trains. You don't have to park. You don't have to pull over. And you can run faster trains, yeah, obviously. Yeah, But I'll tell you, it seems to me that the town that really is going to benefit from this most recent plan is Merced. They're, yes. in, a, they're in a good position. First, um, the governor, first of all, is going to plan now to connect high-speed rail, the initial high-speed rail segment, to Merced. We're going to stop in Merdera before. It's going to go all the way to Merced. Right. Second, like I was mentioning, even if high-speed rail is built only from Merced to Bakersfield— the ACE train gives you now that connection. They got $400 million to take it south from Modesto to Merced. Right. So now you've got to get off the high-speed rail, get on the ACE train, and take it over to, to San Jose. Mm-hmm. You have also have a UC in Merced. Yes. So if you think about Silicon Valley and the kind of research and kind of stuff they want, they probably want to be next to a research, major research institution like UC Merced. A mm-hmm. billion dollars was just placed in the budget, I think state budget, I think a year ago, to build out UC Merced. They're doing a public-private partnership, so they're going to leverage that money. So who knows how much more than a billion dollars that campus right. is going to be built. Right. Seems to me Merced's in a pretty good spot here. Merced's in pretty in pretty good shape with or without the high-speed rail, quite frankly, because of the impetus that's being generated by UC Merced. Uh, you know, an additional rail connection would, would certainly boost it even more. But Merced's doing pretty good on its own But right that's now. a heck of a – I mean, and you're up in North Valley trying to get over to the Bay Area – on the mm-hmm. 120 or 205, whatever those roads are, and it's a parking lot. Yes, it can be. You know, when I have work in the in the Bay Area, if I'm there at th- after three o'clock, I say, okay, you're staying for dinner, right? Because exactly. there's no point in being on the road, you know, and just park somewhere. So mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking that's really going to help Merced. I, I think so. I, I think that's it, it may help Merced more so than it will help Fresno. Yeah, and that's and that's actually you, you make a really good point here, and that is the valley. Really, people think of it as kind of monolithic. You know, mm-hmm. socioeconomic, political area. It's really different. Yes. You know, Bakersfield is pulling more to Los Angeles and Southern California. Merced Modesto is pulling more toward the Bay Area and or Sacramento. You've got the four county region here in the middle yep. of, you know, Kings to, you know, Tulare, Fresno, Madera counties that are kind of isolated by themselves. Right. They're not really connected. And that's been the point of why some in Fresno, certainly it's not universal, but some in Fresno have been very much in support of high-speed rail because they want those economic connections to the to the major urban engines of the state. Yeah, and the other issue, too, is housing, right? And one of the mm-hmm. arguments with high-speed rail is, and again, this is probably going to benefit uh, Merced, even if, high, frankly, if high-speed rail isn't even built because they've got the ACE train now, Yes, um, that people now are going to get on a train and do that commute. I don't know what the time how long it's going to take to get from Merced to uh, San Jose. I'm not sure about I, that on the ACE train. You know, I, I talked with Senator Kathleen Galgiani a few weeks ago, and she was the person who wrote who wrote Proposition 1A. Mm. And, uh, but Anthony, there's a little shout-out to Anthony Canella, who retired state right. senator, who, who pushed for that $400 million. 
Right. Uh, to, of course, to he, connect- agree, he agreed to, to a lot of Republicans' dismay to the gas, ta- uh, gas tax. Sure. Or, I think it was gas tax. Yeah. Um, then he that for that deal, he got the $400 million to bring the ace train down to Merced. Exactly. But I'm wondering, do you have any idea how long the time is? Kath, uh, Senator Galgiani essentially was estimating it would probably be about two hours. Two hours. Okay. Two, an hour and a half to two hours, about the same as it takes to get from Modesto to the Bay Area on the ACE trains. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I'm originally from Connecticut, and that is actually an hour and a half commute is a very common commute mm-hmm. from Connecticut into the city. Um, people, you know, sit on the train, you do your work. Um, it's a very no- and it's unusual for California. Right. In a train, Absolutely. though, I, on a car, I think an hour and a half commute actually would probably be considered for a lot of people, that's kind of a short commute. Yeah. Um, so maybe this is an advantage. The way that the senator put it is that that she believes it will give people, you know, hours of their life back each week because they won't be stuck in traffic behind a wheel. They'll be able to, you know, they're still spending the time in transit in some form. But on a train, you can relax. You can sit back. You're not quite knuckling on the wheel. I, you know, I, a little shout out to Amtrak. I do a lot of work in Sacramento and I've gotten to the point where I take Amtrak all the time. And I have to tell you. It's about the same uh, amount of time as driving, um, and you can sit there and work the whole time, so it's not wasted time. It's much more relaxing for me when I've gone up to Sacramento as well. So let me we've got about a minute left. I want to ask you this. So what's your overall assessment um, about the future of high-speed rail and its impact on the Valley? Can you sum it up? Very questionable, I think, is probably. Between, between uh, the governor's rather ambiguous statements about what the plan is going to be, uh, between whatever the next iteration of an update that the high-speed rail authority provides to the legislature, and between the uh, and the the Trump administration's pledge to try to fight back and get some, get its 3.5 million billion dollars back that it contributed to construction in the valley, uh, I think it, it leaves things very much up in the air. There are funding sources in terms of cap and trade. But uh, I think it really does throw into doubt the ability of the rail authority to do what it wants to do. Uh, we, well, was, as Newsom was, Governor Newsom was saying, though, we think we have the money to build at least the Valley, valley segment. And, yes. and I guess we'll see if that happens. But mm-hmm. ongoing topic. Thank you very much for joining us, Tim Sheen of the Fresno Bee. I would say the noted authority on high-speed rail in the Valley. He's a guy you want to read if you want to know about high-speed rail. Oh, if, you want to stay, <laughs> if you want to stay up to date with state and local politics, though, you can sign on to our uh, sign up for our free e-newsletter, The Maddie Daily, by logging on to our website at maddieinstitute.org. This is Mark Keppel for The Maddie Institute. Thanks for joining us. The views and opinions expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed in the Maddie Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute. Providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.